Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutner. Welcome everyone to the show today, and we have a lot of interesting topics and guests coming up our roundtable topic today is going to start from a discussion around sex and then move into some other areas and we'll see how that will expand and grow. So I'd like to welcome to the show today our co-hosts, John Carousella. Good morning. Mildred Lynn McDonald. Good morning. And Deb Carousella. Good morning. And I know that this can be something that will cause a little bit of shyness, discomfort, awkwardness, giggles, but we're just going to dive right in and see what it is that we can come up with. So with that, let's start peeling off the layers and see what lies underneath this topic. Men and women whisper to each other because they have turned a sacred gesture into a sinful act. This is the world in which we live. And while robbing the present moment of its reality can be dangerous, disobedience can also be a virtue when we know how to use it. If two bodies merely join together, that is not sex. It is merely pleasure. Sex goes far beyond pleasure. In sex, relaxation and tension go hand in hand, as do pain and pleasure, shyness, and the courage to go beyond one's limits. How can such opposing states exist in harmony together? There is only one way, by surrendering yourself. Because the act of surrender means, I trust you. It isn't enough to imagine everything that might happen if we allowed ourselves to join not just our bodies, but our souls as well. Let us plunge, plunge, let us plunge together then down the dangerous path of surrender. It may be dangerous, but it is the only path worth following. Let us forget all that we are taught about how it is noble to give and humiliating to receive. Because for most people, generosity consists only in giving, but receiving is also an act of love. love. Allowing someone else to make us happy will make them happy too. 
This is an excerpt taken from Manuscript Found in Accra by Paul Coelho. How do we go beyond sex being just a physical thing and we actually are willing to surrender and trust and open enough to another person to experience something more than just physical interaction versus that meeting of souls? And we, and what does intimacy mean? Are you surrendering yourself to the experience or the person? And it's kind of like, how do we reclaim sex okay. from from its negative, sinful, guilty, dirty shameful connotations that seem to have built up around it that we always are struggling with as a society, which then spills over into personal. You know, it's very interesting because um, I've been trying to reclaim my capacity to purge. And I know that it's essential for me to reclaim this capacity because there are things that need to be purged out of me. Uh, energetically, and it's also part of a uh, you know part of the healing work that I do. I will sense the vibe in someone and uh, their 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 energetic disease or illness or whatever, and I will need to retch in order to help it it clear. And I was unwilling to go there because of the fear of that feeling. It really comes down to a willingness to accept a feeling as a feeling that you can survive and not become existentially a casualty. You won't lose yourself. You won't disappear. You won't be destroyed if you allow yourself to experience this. And I think there are aspects of sex that are like that. We've been programmed to inhibit ourselves from the kind of unguarded, free experience of ecstasy that everything that leads up to it feels like or can feel like dangerous territory, taboo territory, because we don't know what's on the other side of it and we don't want to be lost. And we've been taught that we shouldn't allow ourselves to be lost in that place. Sex as part of a balanced diet can be very enriching and we don't have to be afraid of any of it, but it has to be part of a part of a whole human a whole human psychological experience. The only thing that keeps coming up for me is is you're giving the gift of yourself. And the other part that came up for me is it's hard it's hard to unveil yourself from all the messages that we're bombarded with in terms of you know body image or overexposure of sexuality or and it's hard to find that basic healthy balanced line so that you can feel good about yourself and give, and look at it as you're given the gift of yourself and then the other person's giving the gift of themselves to you. So when you think about giving the gift of yourself, yes. there's a an untapped capacity in each of us because we don't actually know all of ourselves well enough to be able to give it. And I think that's one of the challenges in intimate relationships is if you don't know yourself then you can't then then you don't know what to offer you don't know how to offer 
and how do you give from a resource that is that you don't understand fully well i would say that in a like a lot in life you may not know all aspects of yourself but there is an opportunity to trust yourself that in the moment you'll know what to do ah and so in so why would that be any different in sex than in well it's other not life? that's to me that 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 that's kind of it yeah so 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 trusting yourself to be fully present with the and, idea that you're going to be a gift you're going to make a gift of yourself yeah to to honor yourself to be in a place of connection with your soul and then you're sharing the gift you know it's really the highest gift you can give like what else like what like what more can you give than yourself that's it but isn't there a difference between giving yourself physically in terms of your body versus truly giving yourself over to which makes it a deeper experience and a more intimate experience. Well, I was referring to to giving yourself on a soul level. Now, here's an interesting here's an interesting challenge. Giving yourself also means being being willing to receive. Mm-hmm. Right? Giving yourself in this act of intimacy means that you give your partner the gift of experiencing your own pleasure through interaction with them because that's going to make them feel great, right? So why why is sex such a embarrassing or difficult topic for people to talk about? In my mind, sex as an abstract topic isn't giggle-inducing. Um, <laughs> as soon as you bring it into any kind of personal experience, then it becomes something that's a lot harder to share, a lot harder to talk about. But I think that that then carries over because when a person is just with another person, they also find it very difficult to talk about sex, to talk about what they want, to ask for what they want, or to ask the other person what it is that they would like. I agree. I I, I agree that it's it does fold over into that. Why is that the case? I think primarily it's conditioning. Right, I agree. And so how do we move beyond that? How do we, as as it's said in the text from uh, Paul Coelho, how do we have the courage to overcome the shyness and go beyond our limits, which could just be the limit of things we're supposed to talk about and not supposed to talk about, and then we find we can't even do that one-on-one with somebody that we're in relationship with for a night or for a lifetime? How do we reach that point of surrender and trust? in order to engage in a true intimate relationship where we can express and ask those things without feeling any sort of embarrassment, guilt, shame. You need to bring it back to yourself first and become a little bit more secure and aware of who you are in and of yourself. If you if you don't have some inner stability, inner sense of of wholeness, it's difficult, I think, for people to come from that place, to come from the, I know who I am, I know that what I, I want, I know that what I'm asking for is not abhorrent, it's not nasty, it's not without merit, and I can ask for this. And the other reaction or the reaction that I get back Maybe it's not something that someone else 
is open to right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm judged. It just means that that particular individual or that particular moment isn't one that is able to be shared. It's certainly not a simple question to be answered. It's certainly not a simple process. This is thousands of years of conditioning. There's still an awful lot that people have to come to understand about themselves and and other people before they can be in complete trust with others. On the flip side of that, how can we go about setting a space and an opportunity for someone else to feel safe enough to be willing to surrender and trust enough to open themselves up to us and ask for what they need from us, as well as to ask us what it is that we would like from them. To me, the first thing you have to do is get create an empathic, an empathic connection with the other person. If you can't register that person's sense of vulnerability and fear in your very bones, in your guts, in your viscera, in your heart and mind, if you can't connect to the experience that they're having, the experience of fear and vulnerability that they're having, it's very difficult for you to craft a container that will accommodate those fears and insecurities and vulnerabilities. So it really comes down to you need to have great sex, you need to have intimacy. To have real intimacy I mean, and ultimately to have the the greatest kind of intimacy that that humans can experience, in my opinion, you have to, you, that happens through great sex. So one feeds the other, and I think it comes down to as a practical toolkit, it's about mindfully practicing with one another. So when you're trying to be intimate with someone, when you're seeking intimacy with someone, it takes practice. And do you think that that can happen in a one night stand? I'm thinking of one-night stands, for example, as more of a metaphor, because we have brief encounters with random people all the time. So what is it, do you think, that we can do ourselves so that we are always able to, in a moment's notice with a random interaction, create or carry a space with us so that when someone comes into that, they immediately feel that they are not judged that they can surrender and trust us in order to be honest and authentically themselves with us rather than trying to present something they think we will find attractive or acceptable. I think the first thing you got to do is drop judgment and the second thing you got to do is drop blame. We very rarely look deeply at how and where in our lives and in our bodies we feel or don't feel safe. How can we make our daily interactions more intimate rather than being disconnected, especially today where so much of our interactions are done through a screen and a keyboard? I'm torn on this question because there's a part of me that understands and appreciates the necessity for what you're asking us, how does one do that? But then there's, all of my walls have gone up as we've had this discussion. I don't necessarily want 
to be intimate with anyone and everyone, every random Joe that I might encounter in the day. And that doesn't mean that I will never be open or intimate to some random individual that I meet. But I but I certainly am not going to walk around in that state. I may find that it occurs and I won't necessarily fight it. But I, I, I am not the kind of individual or I am not ready to be in that state at all times. And I think that that speaks to more broadly a lot of times a fear of intimacy in general that people have, which again then carries over to the personal relationships because then moving past that barrier or that fear of opening themselves up and trusting uh, even in a a one-on-one relationship with someone is something that becomes more difficult even in that situation because we've become so accustomed to maintaining the walls or the fear or the stepping back from the intimacy. And I'm thinking that intimacy could mean that we make more of an effort to look someone in the eye when we're speaking to them, even if it's the checkout person at the store, Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, I'm just paying attention to what's on my phone and all of that, and they're telling me how much it is, and I'm saying, fine, 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 and I'm swiping my card, but I never even look at them or that we acknowledge the the humanness of another being passing by us by seeing them rather than it just being a blob in our peripheral vision that is moving by us. And to me, that's intimacy because it's that willingness to, as Mildred will often say, meet at the soul level or see each other from the soul level. What about if you just simply do look at everything in an intimate way? Every day, every person. What about for people who are already doing that? Then I would think that how they approach sexual encounters would be the same way. And you'd simply show up as who you are as a human being. I I feel that there's nothing more beautiful than a soul expressing itself. And the more you're connected with your soul, the more beautiful you become. And then that sets the vibration for any form of intimate relationship you're going to have with yourself or other people. For me, I just find it's it's a private it's a private thing, and I'm trying to figure out where the private part comes from because I don't have negative feelings. I'm, I'm an expressive person in every area, so I'm wondering myself like where is this privacy coming? And I keep getting this, it's a sacred connection, and is it that I'm not used to talking about the sacred connection? Is it that it's I have sacredness and privacy on the same wavelength, but I know that I'm not getting any negative feelings of embarrassment or anything like that. But a lot of times you will hear that said, well, that's a private matter that shouldn't be discussed in public or with other people. Yes. But I think that that often is the excuse that people use to then never talk about it because you'll find that, for example, when people that are against sex education in the schools will say that that's a a private matter and should only be discussed in the family and that should be the responsibility of the parents to tell the children. But those same people are the ones that then are too uncomfortable to even talk about it with their children. Yeah, I agree with with that part, but 
So how how do we talk about the sacred more publicly, and why do we feel like the sacred is something that's very kept very quiet and private? I find like for myself, I find I'm not used to talking about it. Number one, that's that's one thing. Like when was the last time I had this conversation with anybody? Never. Right. <laughs> but, and, and, but I think that that speaks back to having the courage to overcome the shyness and go beyond one's limits because you are able to slowly take away any discomfort around talking about these kind of things. Well, it, I don't know if it's a discomfort, I see. It's more of not feeling that I have the abil- ability to articulate it. It's like I feel the energy. I feel the feelings. There seems to be clarity with inside of me. Like I'm clear inside. But then to find the words to express what I'm feeling spiritually and emotionally, it's it's like I'm jumping over a pile of rocks. I mean, it just doesn't seem to come together for me. And I think that would be inexperience talking about these things, pure and simple. Because if I started to have these conversations, I'm sh- I would bet in a month's time you wouldn't be able to shut me up. Well, but that's that's one of the reasons why the more people either hear it talked about and or talk about it, the more comfortable and the more able they become to be able to express themselves more clearly around these areas in their life in terms of asking for what they need, asking somebody else what it is that they need from them, which goes beyond just sex but then goes to everything else and being able to ask for what they need in all areas more comfortably and more eloquently. Mm. Obviously, this is a topic, as Deb has indicated, that is something that has gone on for thousands of years and we could probably talk about for another few thousand years, but we'll bring this invigorating and stimulating conversation to a close at this point. And I will invite you to stay tuned for the rest of the show because we have much more exciting topics, suggestions, and other little tidbits that you might find intriguing with our Living Well segment, with our guest, as well as in our astrology segment, and of course, the live reading segment. You can always call in and perhaps get a reading on the air at the end of the show. So thank you to my co-hosts, John Carousella. Thanks. Hi, Steve. It was good. Mildred Lynn McDonald. Have a great show. And Deb Carousella. You're very welcome, Hi, C. Have a good one today. And stay tuned. We'll be right back after the
You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Enjoy the show. I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. Your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Food is alive. It is a being. It is a sacred being. Food is not just our vital need. It is the web of life. Vandana Shiva Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley and this is Living Well with Linda. And hello Linda, welcome once again to Revolution and Thank you for being here to share your wisdom and experience with everyone to help them in living well, living better, living healthier in their lives. So hopefully you're doing well on this fine autumn day. I am, and thank you for your kind words, truly. I really mean it. Thank you. And and I mentioned, you know, autumn, we're kind of in that, um, in some ways, in-between state as we're moving through the transition from summer into fall and from one season to the next in the natural cycle of uh, the seasons and things. And so I'm just curious as, you know, and, and I will say there's a lot astrologically going on that's also kind of stirring up a sense of shift and change within us on a, as a whole. Um, and so I'm just curious how you're experiencing this transition and, and what's going on for you as you are thinking about what was in the summer and now what the autumn is envisioned by you as looking like or what you're feeling at this time of the year? Yes, well, actually, in all truth, I'm feeling so many things. And um, there's even a deep emotion that's associated with this. For me, in kind of transitioning from summer, the carefree, days of blooming and flowering and and to realizing that the time of going within is coming and I can feel that on the outer edges 
of me as my body gets into more of its winter things. And in the winter, I tend to go through some heavy kind of experiences. So I feel my ego up. I feel my angst up. There's a lot of things in the world, as you mentioned, astrologically speaking, a lot of things that I see that I don't like and that I, I don't understand. And it seems that this is and can be a difficult time for everyone, the transition between seasons. And we were talking earlier about my moles and voles in my garden, you know, and that's a deep problem for me. And what if, as we chat here, what does that really represent? What are the moles and the voles? What are they doing? They are tunneling deep into the earth, into the darkness, into the rich soil where all of life is. So maybe that's where I need to I need to start realizing that it's going into these deeper, darker places and that that can make us feel anxious. For there are tunnels to explore and experience as the seasons draw us more inward. You know, when we think of the mole in terms of like a, a totem animal or the spirit energy of, of the mole... Uh, one of the things that they are often associated with is kind of a, a guide to the underworld or to hidden treasures in mysterious places, yeah. um, you know, so, and and of course, they're diggers. And so there is that sense of what you were just talking about of it's it's a need to dig deeper and maybe they're there to say you've been through these things previously, like in the winter season, you were saying that you tend to go through something a little heavier. And, you know, we can think I've been through enough, but they may be there to say there's still some hidden treasures to get if we'll just dig a little deeper, you know. But it doesn't, I think that your ego and your angst are are kind of almost like post-traumatic Stress. You know, it's like I've been through this before and I'm already anticipating what I think it's going to be like. It may not have to be quite so difficult if we just say, let's approach this as a treasure hunt mm -hmm. rather than, oh, no, I'm going to get, you know, buried alive again <laughs> kind <laughs> of thing. Um, so so when you've gone through those things and even in dealing with the mole problem I was say the mole people I know that's not right uh, um, what lessons do you think you've learned up to this point and I know we had, we had also talked previously about um, how did how did the natives deal with this kind of thing or how did people in the past deal with this because in a sense we talk a lot about living with nature being in harmony with nature and the natural uh, way of things and yet we tend to resist or fight that sometimes when it then encroaches on something that is very near and dear to us. Like I've cultivated this garden and now they're coming in and they're like, you know, messing it up. So do you feel like you've had any insights or learned anything from doing this and also any thoughts on how in the past older uh, peoples have uh, perhaps approached or dealt with this? Well, I, I, you've, you've hit on many beautiful points there. Certainly uh, the symbolic nature of it, digging deeper within, because that's where we're supposed to go in the winter in a way, and many of us reject that. We don't want to go there. 
I think living in harmony with nature, that's what I said to the moles and bulls. I said, this doesn't seem to be in harmony. But if something persists, perhaps there is a deeper message. I'm not exactly sure on that. But I know that the darkness is some place where most of us fear to go. Yet it is also the richest, most deeply satisfying place if we can progress through it. Because we have to go through it. So maybe I just need to get in one of those tunnels and go along and see where it goes. In the olden days, in the natives, I wonder how they did deal with that. I mean, many say that you plant your garden, you realize that some of it's going to be for the critters and some of it's going to be for you. So maybe just accepting that kind of stance. and um, But it's darn hard to accept when you go out there and you see your plants dead. Well, and and one thing you said was this year, because it's been going on for a couple of years now, that you decided just to let the garden be, to not really even try to plant a lot, but just kind of letting the garden go. And in some ways, maybe that's one of the lessons, is it says, Mm -hmm. sometimes I have to just let it go, and maybe that will help to replenish the soil in some way, or maybe that will do something. You know, it's like when we have fires in the forest, there's actually benefit from that. Right. And you know we we might not see it that way if, if there's if our house happens to be near there, um, but ultimately what it does is it it rejuvenates the land and the growth and kind of gets rid of a lot of the the things that have built up that are actually squeezing out the ability for growth to happen, um, and 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 maybe some of these themes around the mole may trigger something for you. You know, because one of the things about moles, actually, is it's one of the few mammals that evolved differently than how we might think, because its evolution has actually been one that has um, uh, had its sight go away. Instead of evolving with better sight, it Uh actually has evolved towards blindness. Right. And so there's a lot about... Uh, honing the senses around that, you know, how when you lose one sense and the other senses become more keen, you know, so maybe there's something around, um, are there senses that we need to be honing or are there certain senses we have allowed to kind of deaden or atrophy just because we haven't been engaging them fully? It's like we've relied so much on what we see that we haven't been listening enough. Well, I I fully agree with that because... In in the deeper aspects of things, the plants and the animals are communicating with us. And that's at the deeper level that we don't need our physical sight for. We need our intuitive guidance through the heart to be able to, to do that. So indeed, I guess if you could say there is a message, it would be looking deeper inside, listening, following your intuition, deepening that sense of intuitive knowing because the electromagnetic currents, vibrations and frequencies that flow around the earth are actually the song of the earth and that's how we communicate. We don't need our sight for that. So I think there are lessons in that perhaps and and actually I am trying to achieve that or look deeply, more deeply into it because I know that the plants communicate with me when I'm working out there. 
And it's from an intuitive knowing that I know what this plant needs or, oh, this plant is suffering today. Yes, this plant needs water. And they impart their information of how they heal us. You know, that's how we found out all the information about earth and plants. So perhaps there is that that's encouraging me <laughs> to look differently at life, as as we all must, because life is certainly a perspective. And well, and, well, and it's 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 that digging around for trust and for yeah. faith, because you know one of the the things that moles as a totem animal uh, are about are um, realizing that we can have too much doubt or skepticism about things and we say well if i can't see it or prove it then i'm not going to believe it right but what you were saying and what that kind of really brings up is and we're going into a darker time of the year it says sometimes we have to just trust the instinct trust the senses trust the intuition have that faith um, and not allow an overabundance of doubt and skepticism to get into the way of our ability to enjoy things just because we can't see or prove what they are, why they are, versus just saying, no, but it has a a resonance for me or it, it, it makes me feel something, therefore I'm going to be okay with it, rather than needing to break it down into, but what is it? You know. See, I think that is part of the problem of the modern world, truthfully, because we've gotten away from the mystery and magic of life and the wonderment of life and the awe of life into having to break down and explain every single little thing. And truthfully, science is not the end all. And I don't believe that science has guided us properly in in many instances. And that the indigenous people of all the lands certainly knew way more about that kind of living than... Um, we understand today and it's our disconnection from nature and that conversation I feel that has helped the powers that be with you will or the program of the matrix or however you want to say it our conditioned world to move forward because if we were all in touch with nature and heard her song we, we wouldn't be being the way we are well and it seems that we've for for many people, we seem to have either lost the ability or at least lost the interest yes, in in it. in pondering things that are beyond comprehension, like having conversations around grand philosophical ideas or talking about things in it with awe and wonder and just kind of speculating rather than it needing to have a a web page we can go look up the information on or. <laughs> You know, well, but let's see what the technology is going to let us do. You know, we can. People are dazzled by what technology can do. I actually love technology, right? But I think that just like they've shown with studies that people's uh, memories have gotten far worse because we no longer have to remember anything. We can look up anything at any moment with anything at the tips of our fingers. You know, it, it, it's not about let me think about that and come to my own conclusion. It's always let me Google that. So we're always looking to see what somebody else had said, what somebody else has to show. And so I think that that has caused that kind of atrophying of some of our senses with this, I'm including in the senses like our intuition and that kind of thing. Um, 
and and so you know using the the moles being there as kind of that inspiration point for just pondering these things um, maybe they were there so that we had this conversation and we're reminded and hopefully people listening are reminded to you know don't forget to go into areas to think about things that you have no answers for it's and okay how about make, and how about excuse me to make friends with the darkness well right it, it's because like wander into it rather than sh- than shying away from it you know how Rumi says it paraphrased is that the fires of transformation are always burning at the edge of consciousness, inviting us. If we stay on this side of the fire, we're always going to be burned. If we go through the fire, on the other side are the cool waters of life refreshing and renewing us. So, you know, in our culture today, we're pretty much afraid to look at that darkness. We've been trained away from the darkness. Oh, that's too dark. Oh, I can't talk about that. Oh, that's so negative. It's not possible. Oh, my God, I can't even consider that. But that is the half of life, the richness of life that is missing this. Because it's the play of light and dark that expresses this world. And so when we come together and acknowledge the darkness, so to speak, we realize that it's our despair and our deep, caring heart. And it really creates community and joining and a sense of support and help when we can really come together and there is and there is a balance i think this is a great time for us to remember that because you know here, here we are in september when we have the fall equinox which is the equal light and dark of the day and so you know on the one hand i think a lot of people go to one side of the extreme which is i only want to see cat pictures and funny <laughs> things in my Facebook feed. I don't want to see news stories about anything that's unpleasant or uncomfortable or difficult. Um, now, the other side of that is sometimes we can be deluged and overwhelmed by nothing but yeah. negative, whether it's negative news in the sense of like political negative ad kind of things or you know, difficult, heart-wrenching stories where we just feel like I can't even bear the suffering of the world anymore kind of thing. There, There is a balance to find. But people are so afraid of the dark side of things. You know, it's it's so often I will ask people just in conversation, I'll say, you know, so do you have any thoughts on what we, what, what we might be able to do to help with this refugee crisis that's going on in, in Europe? And very often I'll get responses to things like, oh, well, I don't really know anything about what's going on there or oh. or that, I, I, you know, that kind of it's like that kind of thing is it, it's too it's too upsetting for me. So I don't really pay attention. I don't like to read stories or hear anything about it. I'm like, well, it's one thing to not make everything you read and see about those kind of things. So you feel depressed about the state of the world all the time. But it's another thing to be so uninformed that you say, I'm only going to have things that are fun, that are light, that are entertaining, rather than ever having a balance of something else. Exactly. And it is, you know, it is important to know what's going on in the world. And for me, the balance looks like this. We understand that there's darkness and we see it. We see it. Clearly, really, for anybody who will look out there in the world today, the veil is not hard to pierce. And and there's also all this beautiful stuff happening, too. 
But if we deny this over here, then we're not really able to make correct decisions that support the truth of life that we're after if we don't really understand what's going on. So I feel it's imperative to know. It's important that we don't get swamped down in the darkness and that we can take actions within our own life that support the positive outcome because we know this over here. So I feel it's just, the wholeness of life, if you will, that we need to look at and understand and see with love and make choices that are appropriate. So as we begin our gentle progress into this darker time of the year, do you have any suggestions or tips in regarding foods or other things that people can use to help with navigating through it as holistically as possible? So, yes, because uh, uh, I will offer what I am doing for myself because I'm feeling the tug as we spoke in the beginning of this transition. So I'm making sure that I'm eating right. I'm eating local organic foods. I'm starting to add in some warming herbs. I'm starting to um, maybe cook things a little bit more. You mentioned like some foods and some warming herbs. Can you suggest a couple of what those are specifically for people so they know what they might think about incorporating? So, yes. So I would say like ginger and garlic and onions and curries and cinnamon and nutmeg and cardamom and turmeric, those kinds of spices now, like um, not cayenne or chilies or whatever like that. Those are great for summer because they make you sweat and they actually cool the body. But these herbs are going to take the heat from the summer surface of the body and put it deep into our internal organs so that we have the warmth within our organs during the winter to keep us warm and and, uh, function properly. So... And then the foods would be just whatever happens to be being harvested in your area. It's time to, almost time now to start thinking about pumpkins and winter squashes and baking those. Almost that time. So as seasons change, our food changes. And so we don't eat the same things all the time. So, yeah, it's a very important part of the transition. And it's nice with some of the different spices and things you mentioned because those are easy to incorporate into foods and dishes. Very easy. Um, but also they're easy to make teas out of. Uh, you know, you can also get the essential oils of some of them and like rub them on the bottom of your feet and that gets that yeah. um, uh, into your system and really stimulates the circulation and things. So it, it's nice that we have things so easily available to us. People always think they're, you know, if I'm going to start doing all of this health holistic stuff, I'm going to have to find these expensive exotic things and where am I going to go to get them and it's just going to be this one store that's way out of the way and it's like well actually you probably have <laughs> lots of stuff that's perfectly uh, appropriate for the, the season or for what you need right in your spice cabinet right in your spice cabinet and your local farmer's market for the produce that's happening now and I'm also thinking about yoga. I'm thinking about taking a Pilates class. I'm thinking about my walks that I want to be taking every morning so that I stay 
centered in the truth of nature and my love and my gratitude, my deep gratitude for the life that I have. Because for me, all these things help point back to the heart. And it's about staying within the heart because we're so easily swayed from the heart of life especially with what's happening out in the world today. There are so many catastrophes. So to stay in the heart and to understand that life is doing life and all is perfect as it is, hard as it is to handle, we can move forward in that way that accommodates and promotes the change that we're all looking for. So extra special care of yourself right now, your heart, your physical being, drinking lots of water is is extremely important. And even you mentioned a lot of heavy astrological stuff, even, uh, I don't know, people say perhaps things are going to change within the world. And so I just say extra care, extra care. And do you have any suggestions this month regarding a book or video or something for people? I'm reading The Game of Thrones. I think, you know, to to add to that, so I don't have a specific recommendation, it's also important that we don't get too heavy, speaking for my own self, to not get too heavy. Because I can take these things on and I want to digest all the problems and sorrow and suffering of the world through myself. Now, there is a practice in Buddhism called Tom Lin, which which teaches one how to do that. But I think also as we talk about balance then to keep it lighthearted. So for me, we can have, I'm reading The Game of Thrones because my kids love it and it's a great escape. So I think that, you know, it's just about the balance to all things. And if you're too heavy, read something lighter. If you're too light, you're not really caring and you're out of touch, find something that brings you back in touch. So I think if nothing else, then the theme for people to remember right now at this time of the year is balance and really to be able to look at ourselves and the way our lives are structured. And are we doing things? Are we living in a balanced way? Are we allowing our times for that deep reflection through the things that we do, through the things that we read, etc.? Are we allowing ourselves time for lightness and enjoyment and fun if we're feeling overwhelmed that we're always caught up in the suffering of the world. But finding that place of balance is really what this time of year is key to reminding us about. And we get two reminders a year. You know, we get it at spring equinox and we get it at fall equinox. So it comes around regularly just to knock on the door and say, hey, just a little reminder. With that, I will express my gratitude for you once again making time to be here for uh helping others recognize the importance of living well and that they have the ability within themselves to live as well as they would like, but it is up to them. So thank you very much. Thank you. And and just a little thing here. That, that is a very important point that you said. Because as the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So it's for each of us to look within ourselves, make our choices, and then act appropriately. Because it's when we don't pay attention to the inner prompting and follow that intuitive guidance within that we suffer. So I invite you all 
to find that balance and look within to see the light and the dark because it's there and it's a beautiful thing. And remember, it's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at Linda at Prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. portion of our show where, one, I want to remind you, if you want to get a reading during the show a little bit later, you can call in 646-716-5510 or connect in from the show page in order to get into the queue for that. Uh, I also wanted to let you know that during our conversation um, at, in this segment, if you have any questions or comments that you would like to contribute to the conversation, uh, you can also do so by connecting in from the show page or calling 646-716-5510. And so we are uh, now going to uh, move into our segment that is going to actually involve a couple of guests. 
And I will let people know, just because we have to say this, that some of the conversation may be of an adult nature. So there you are. You're forewarned. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and bring in my guests, and we will talk about why I didn't do a, a introduction like I would normally do um, around the guests uh, in a moment. Uh, but first, I wanted to let the guests introduce themselves. Um, we're going to be talking about a topic that has really come up very recently. Well, I mean, it's always coming up, but it's come up very recently in the news due to the closure of a couple of high-profile websites. Um, and we're going to be talking about the, um, the the field, the industry, the profession of sex work, uh, as well as some of the issues that surround that. So I would uh, like to go ahead and go to my first guest and ask him to introduce himself and let us know what brings him to the show today. Hi, Hesse. Hello. Um, <laughs> hi. Uh, well, my name is Rowan, and I am a witch and a former sex worker. I'm very happy to be here today. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining. And then I'm going to go ahead and go over to my second guest and ask my second guest to introduce himself as well. Hi, hi, C. Um, my name is Eric Dupree. I'm also a witch, a pagan author. I write the column Alone in Her Presence, um, hosted at patheos.com. And I work with sex workers in my magical practice, supporting their work, um, mostly with transgender sex workers. All right. Well, thank you both for being willing to be here and have this conversation today. Um, of course, the, the prompt for me to want to have this conversation on this show was the recent raid and closure of a website called rentboy.com, which was basically a website to connect men with other men uh, for, as they would say on the website, companionship. Um, and this followed just a few weeks after another closure of a website called redbook.com, which was more oriented towards a straight clientele. Um, and so, you know, one of the reasons why I didn't do the, the normal introductions is because there was some question from uh, with people that I had asked about being on the show as to whether, A, they could be on the show, if they could use their real names, and there was concern around that. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is still a topic and an area that has a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, so I, I did want to ask if either of you were familiar with the situation around Redbook and RentBoy.com, because I was quite surprised to find that it was actually Homeland Security that was coming in and raiding and closing this website down as if I mean, apparently they have taken care of Daesh or as some people call it ISIS, but I refuse to use that name. You know, apparently all of the terrorism issues and all of the national security issues are taken care of and they have nothing better to do. Um, are, are either of you familiar with the situation and do you have any thoughts on um, Homeland Security being involved and the fact that they feel it's so important to come in and, and shut this kind of a site down? Um, well, I, I can jump in with that. I am I am a little bit familiar uh, with the Rent Boys situation. Um, I also was pretty surprised when I found out that it was Homeland Security that was getting involved um, because it doesn't seem to be a major issue of uh, you would one would think for Homeland Security. Um, although it does for me uh, place it in conversation 
with the um, developments that Amnesty International has been making um, regarding the decriminalization of sex work on an international scale. And so part of me feels like this is in response to these international developments and how our global culture is moving away from the criminalization of sex and how also timed with the fact that uh, the United States recently, you know, with the SCOTUS ruling um, has chosen to advocate for uh, gay marriage. And so I feel like they're sort of it was a way to to knock down two giants with you know one stone a little bit, um, right. push back on the gay community and the sex worker community simultaneously. So I think that Homeland Security's response would be that um, international money, um, commerce was part of the discussion, um, and that's why they were there. Whether or not that's truth um, remains to be seen. Um, I think that I agree that it's uh, sort of in a, an aggrandized way to make a, a statement like, hey, look at mm-hmm. us. It, 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 to me, it feels and smells very patriarchal, um, mm-hmm. which is often the case when, when we have um, – when sex is in the conversation, uh, there is sort of a, a shame element and a, uh, let us put our thumb on it. In a, in a very large way. So that is the that is what the raid felt like. Unlike, say, if we were to compare it to the um, what's her name? Uh, not Ashley Madi- Madison, but Ashley Madison. There we go. <laughs> that had a very that had a very a very laissez-faire. Let us expose you at our at our whim. Granted, it wasn't uh, a government exposure. Uh, this was a very like let us round up and shut you down in a very, in a very hostile way um, as the, as the United States tends to, to like to do go in, shut down. Um, so that, that is, but I think the answer that they gave was um, money was being exchanged in an international way. And therefore um, that's why Homeland Security had to be involved. Well, um, well, so before we go further, I want to just take a step back for a moment and just ask, because I actually had mm-hmm. somebody ask what the definition of this was in terms of what we were going to be talking about on the show. How would each of you define sex work? You know, what, what constitutes sex work and, and what, is that, uh, what, what is that definition for you in terms of when does somebody become a sex worker and is working in that field versus just having sex? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to defer well, first to the actual <laughs> sex worker. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Happily. Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting because uh, the, the title sex worker was one that I personally found myself resisting for a really long time. Um, I think because it is such a, a stigmatized word and for um, if you're entering into the, you know, the field or the profession um, or the community from the outside, um, it can also be sort of a very shameful word. I think that's something that, um, you know, the, the, the patriarchy has, has instilled. Uh, and so for me, I would say that I came to identify as a sex worker after I had already been doing sex work for a number of years, um, actually. And I don't know that I would feel comfortable 
telling someone, oh, well, you are a sex worker if you're doing this type of work or not, because for me, it, it did. It was a sensitive journey, and I would want to give someone else that um, the same room to identi- self-identify as well. And do you think that being a sex worker just means that there is an exchange for sex, whether it be of money or something else? You know, does somebody who is a sex therapist fall under the the umbrella of sex work and sex worker, or are there other things that you feel shift that title over from, say, sex therapist right. versus someone you would call a sex worker? Right, right. You know, it's interesting because while I would say that in most cases a sex therapist, I personally would not use the term sex worker to apply to them because it seems con- in the conversation and in the community that that is um, sort of the trend, that we would not refer to them as a sex worker. But to sort of flip that, I would definitely say that much of my work as a sex worker was a form of sexual therapy. Um, right. Which is a sort of, it's interesting those, but, you know, I, I don't know that the term applies in both cases necessarily. <laughs> Can I but jump in? Mean? Oh, yeah, Sure. Sure. Sex worker is a polite word for prostitute. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what sex worker has come to ter- to mean. It's a media word for prostitute. You know, like it sounds empowered, but it's not. It has a negative connotation. So that's why we wouldn't call a sex therapist with a master's degree in sex therapy a sex worker. You know, but sex worker to me is anywhere, anytime there's an exchange, whether that's an energy exchange, a monetary exchange, for sex. And if you go back in history, sex worker, whether it's the holy whore or the person on a pole or the person on the street or the person using an app, to have an exchange where the currency is sex for something. The difference is is that Puritan society at some point decided that the body was not allowed to be sold. And that's where we have this issue. And that's why Uncle Sam decided they wanted 33.3% of Rent Boy because they weren't getting it. So when I think of sex worker, whether it's the transgender person who I work with currently on their own business and and how it's empowering for them, or it's the person who no longer does the work. It's the person who, you know, to use that quote from Showgirls, um, uh, what does she say? She says, uh, we take the check, we cash the check, you know, we're all in it for something. So it's the question I have is, is the sex work empowered or is it disempowering? And that's where I have like the rent boy issue, really more than say the person who's still working in a bar in a small town trying to like, you know, be, maybe they're not empowered in their work. See, rent boy felt like an empowered situation to me. Um, but sex work, sex worker is sort of a media term. And maybe it's been, for some people, an empowered term. But to me, I still think it has a really strong, a really negative connotation to it still. Um, that's where, where I, I think we're at. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people 
associate sex work with, you know, the exchange of sex for money. And they get on this right. high horse and they think it's, you know, they, they look down their nose at it. And even with like the Rent Boy situation, which I find very interesting and something you brought up, is the government and the people that are perhaps supportive of the government's position in shutting this down get on that high horse and look at it very judgmentally, as morally wrong, right. et cetera. And yet there, there's a lot of indication that the government had, I mean, Rent Boy has been around for a long time. It's not like it just popped mm-hmm. up 17, you know, seven months ago. And yet they seemed to have taken quite a bit of time to come around to deciding to do this, which means they waited until it became like a $10 million a year business. And now what they want really exactly. is you weren't giving us our cut, and therefore we now mm-hmm. want it. And to me, I say, and what makes the government and these people that are on their high horse any different? Because really all they're asking for is we want our money, which sounds like a pimp rather than somebody who actually had a moral ground to stand on. Um, you know, and so I would I would I would encourage people who perhaps have a negative view or a moral judgment around this kind of work to look at themselves and say, well, if you stop looking at it as just sex for money and you look at it as sex in exchange for you know, you you always hear the arguments of, of things like, yeah, but what's the difference between that and somebody who is in a relationship with someone and basically has a sexual relationship in exchange for a particular type of lifestyle or, you know, that kind of thing. So, but it, it was the money thing that when you said that, because that's been pointed out, that they certainly took their time over a number of years waiting until it got to a certain point of, of making how much money it does per year before deciding, oh, now we need to step in because now there's a substantial amount of money for us to make from this that we're not getting. Um, well, can I? What, can, go yeah. ahead. No, no, continue. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to say, Heisey, is, and, and what I, what I think is important is, what people don't talk about when we talk about sex work is what actually is happening. So I'll just speak from my own experience as a, as a, as like a teenager, I had a great uncle. He was in his eighties and there would always be these random checks written to this woman. And my grandmother would get really upset about this woman who he would meet, who, who he picked up, on Weld Square. That's where they were, these women. And she was this one woman, and he met her there in his little VW bug one night, and then she would come to the house, and she came every Monday, and all she did, because he was like 85 years old, was sit there. She just sat there. She just sat there. So he paid this woman to sit there. And I don't know, maybe she gave him a hand job. Who knows? But it was like this point of contention in my very Christian family that my really great uncle like, had a sex worker sit there. Because for I think a lot of people, sure, I'm sure sex occurs in many situations, but I think part of it is companionship, company. So if you want to pay an escort to like be there, then who, like, fine, do that. Like, I, I think that like the moral compass is really interesting to me because I know a lot of people who like pick a man, women, we'll say, I, I, I'm thinking like a woman picks a man for his lifestyle and her job is like produce a baby. How is that really different? So I'm curious to know, like, as like when I speak to sex workers, what is, what is the, 
what is the um, the scope of practice. And oftentimes, sure. the the question is: Is the work you're doing empowering, or is the work you're, and are, do you feel empowered in the work, or do you feel not empowered in the work? Yes, yeah, so, you know, so that's Rowan, the, the question. Yeah, so so Rowan, mm-hmm. maybe we can come to you and and one maybe just ask what it is that that brought you into sex work when you were doing that, and then did you feel empowered? You know, how did you feel, especially over the evolution of the time that you were doing it? And then if you can maybe speak a little bit to the the different types of clients and reasons for people coming into that kind of situation that you found, perhaps even some that surprised you that you didn't anticipate would be a part of doing that kind of work. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um well, I actually sort of stumbled into sex work accidentally. Um, <laughs> I, I suppose in that I uh, was a college student and I was dead ass broke. And um, I decided that I was going to st- strike out at, um, I had just, just gotten my first Reiki attunement and I thought maybe I would try doing Reiki um, to make some money. And I found my first client um off of Craigslist because I didn't know where else to look um, because sites, uh, which is another size back into the Rempoy conversation later. But um, I found a man off of Craigslist, used my last $3 to buy the subway ticket up to his apartment in Harlem and uh, got there and did the Reiki. And it, I I really thought that we were just going to be doing Reiki because I was very innocent, naive, um, but he took all of his clothes off and I, was too afraid to tell him to put them back on because he hadn't paid me and I needed that money in order to get home. And so, uh, you know, he had an erection, he ended up sort of finishing himself off and it kind of traumatized me a little bit because it was not what I was experienced, you know, had been expecting for my first like spiritual healing attempt. Um, but I quickly realized that if I really wanted to make any money at all, this is, you know, the people who were contacting me, the people who were interested in paying me weren't paying, weren't interested in paying me to actually give them Reiki. Even if they said that, you know, when we were communicating, actually they wanted sexual gratification in some way, shape or form. That was always the bottom line. Um, And now what it looked like could be different as as you were mentioning, uh, Eric, about your grandpa, you know, and the woman who just came and sat, I had people who, uh, married men who it was exciting enough that they would take me out to lunch. And that was, you know, what really, really did it for them. Um, I had other people who just wanted erotic massage or wanted to photograph me or wanted, you know, we're very, very candid, you know, we're like, I want, I want a hand job or, you know, what, whatever the, the case may be. Um, and do are all of these sex work? Eh, I mean, I'm, I would say probably maybe the closest analogy that I can come up with is that if you go to a coffee shop, they sell more than just coffee, you know? <laughs> and so if you want to photograph me naked that, or, you know, if you want to take me out to lunch, it's like you can go to a coffee shop and get a biscotti or a bagel. Um, does that mean that you're not at a coffee shop? No, you're still, you know, that's still the the industry that we're operating in. And I guess more than whether or not it is a sex act, it is a part of the sex industry. And I think that's an important definition to make. And was there a point where you, that first experience, it sounded like you didn't feel very empowered? 
Um, you know, yeah. And and I'm just wondering, did, was at some point did that shift for you? Did you feel like, no, this is more. I, I'm making this choice because obviously you didn't exactly make that choice the first time because you were kind of surprised mm-hmm. by the situation and maybe just naive in the situation. But as mm-hmm. time went on and you stayed in that, obviously you didn't just run away from those kind of experiences. Did you start to shift and feel more about this is a choice I'm making, and did you feel good about that choice, and did you feel as if I'm I'm empowered in this situation versus I'm being taken advantage in this in these kind of situations? Definitely, I definitely I did. Um, there was a shift for me. Uh, it was um, something that was more internal than external. Um, definitely, it wasn't because I found you know, a secure platform like Rentboy or Redbook that made me feel empowered and secure. That really, for me, and I think for a lot of people, isn't necessarily where that comes from, although that is a great external reinforcement. Um, But first, you have to get to the place internally where you say, yes, I'm okay with this. Yes, this is what I'm going to do. And for me, that came from working um, through deity a lot. I was working, I began working very heavily uh, with the Orisha Oshun, who herself uh, was a prostitute at one point. And this is really what cultivated the strength and the empowerment within myself, where I started viewing sex work as sacred sex. Um, even if it wasn't, I, I get really sort of, it can be a trigger a little bit for me when people talk about sacred sex in our community and they only talk about like, you know, this sort of red candle tantric, you know, like, Oh, we're super connected. Um, because a lot of the times it was not like that. <laughs> like a lot of the times you're walking into some creep's apartment and you're like, I, I'm doing this for the dollar and I respect myself enough to not feel any shame at all about this. Um, and I am being empowered in this situation because I am, I, I am actively and consciously putting myself here um, and I am actively and consciously divorcing myself from shame. It doesn't have to be sexy for it to be sacred, I guess. Right. And, and, and Eric, you had mentioned too about um, the idea of patriarchy playing into a lot of the views around sex work and that kind of thing. Um, and I also think we see that even just in the way that sex workers are viewed and treated because, you know, what usually, and, and um, Rowan also brought this up with the, the UN wanting to decriminalize prostitution. And, you know, one of the things that they said for doing that is that their goal is to protect sex workers. Now, you often hear that kind of language, especially when it's relating to um, female sex workers, because it's about, you know, when right. they when they raided uh, or, or shut down redbook.com, you know, it was about saving the, the women who were there and, you know, we, we have this protecting them and there's always this sense of they're in distress, they've been forced into this. None of them, of course, have the ability to have this agency to make their own decisions around and be self-determined around this. And so we have to swoop in and save them. However, in the Red Boy situation, it was completely different. You never heard a word about helping or saving or protecting any of the people associated with that site in terms of the workers on that site. You know, it, instead, you got nothing but very, very detailed, salacious stories and and descriptions of things that were on the site and what people were doing through the site and that kind of thing. Right. So I, I'm I'm wondering, can you 
maybe speak a little bit of what you've observed in terms of that difference in attitude and action even towards how sex workers are viewed and treated, um, both female and male, but even since you're working with someone from the transgender community, there may even be differences between male, female, transgender, between straight and gay. So it's just some of the things that you've observed in terms of those differences. Right. Well, I think... Well, I think it's really powerful. We, as a culture, an American culture, um, are all about women, you know, when it comes to prostitution and about assault, sexual assault. So, you know, and I want to give credit to that, um, you know, protect our girls, sex trafficking, uh, because there is a lot that needs to be done there. For this conversation, um, you know, we're, we're really focusing, you know, on men and in that vein, right now, right now there seems to be this uh, very interesting uh, shifting of, of, of balance. We have this Kim Davis woman. She thinks she's Hester Prynne, and, and she's out there crying about how we have to save America's Christian values, blah, 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 blah. And so I feel like the media just needed to like sort of support this anti-gay agenda. So let's show some like salacious stories of gay men, you know, prostituting themselves on rentboy.com and blah, blah, blah. And um, it's just sort of this attack on homosexuality. Um, And so I really just think it's a media circus. Um, You know, for me, and I don't, I'm not sure I've written about this a lot. Um, I write a lot about, personal experience, but I, when I was in college, I lived with uh, transgender sex workers. Um, and part of my draw to that community and why I work with some today is what makes it interesting is it's sometimes the only work they can get, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes it's the only work they can get. Um, there's always a choice for someone who has an ID that says their name, you know? So my ID says my name, it looks like me. Uh, your ID says your name, it looks like you. To get a job at Walmart or at the McDonald's. But when your ID says Bob, but your face and everything you present says Jennifer, um, you can't get a job anywhere. So the only job you can get um, is, uh, is, is, you know, turning a trick in a bar, and so um, when the hormones that you get are maybe from your doctor or maybe not, um, and you're, you might be getting a silicone injection from a drag queen, um, t- sex work is the only work that there is. So that's the main difference that I've seen um, for our transgender sisters specifically, more so than trans men. Um, so what I know for the sisters that I, I've been with in community is that their work tends to be very dangerous, um, especially when uh, for minority women, trans women, and for, for them, it's not always empowering. It's sort of the last or only work, and it's sort of... Um, it is oftentimes the 
the only option. And what I have seen is there's a strength in numbers. Uh, they live in community together. Often, uh, you know, I know of two communities in, in, in the Boston area that they, they live together. They sort of stay together. They're in a pack. Boston uh, did a cleanup. You know, patriarchy does its thing, uh, did a cleanup in, in the mid-2000s, 2000, uh, 2006, of, of sort of, the, uh, of two, two sort of spots that were um, these main spots where transgender um, sex workers uh, did their thing. And it's become less and less available. The Internet has made it uh, easier. Uh, websites have made it easier in some ways for people to have what I would say agency. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting situation where at one point in the, in like the, Probably up until the, I would say manhunt, you know that that manhunt period, and then the app, the the age of the, the smartphone. You have a lot of of sort of the bar scene. So I would say for me it was 1999 to 2000. I'm in college and I'm living with uh, with transgender sex workers, four of them, and and I, I hang out, I read tarot. I sing, I do my thing, and, I, and I'm safe. I'm, I'm sort of that person that they, they hang out with. I walk them to and from a place called Playland Cafe, you know, in the combat zone of Boston. And it's cool. And I see what they do, and it's interesting. But then, you know, an app comes out, and it changes. Things like rentboy.com gives you an autonomy. And so I think now what we have is we have people with agency and autonomy. So a gay man can... Uh, can create a profile, he can have agency and autonomy, he can um, charge however much money he wants to do to have whatever menu at the, at the coffee shop of sex work, you know, to use <laughs> that analogy. It's a great analogy, you know. Is, is it going to be a hand job or is it going to be dinner? And you pay what you want. <laughs> and uh, and, and the, the great thing is that there's no, there's no pimp, there's no middleman, you know, there's a payment gateway. It's kind of brilliant. Um, and you're safe. You screen the person. You meet them or you don't. Um, but for the transgender person, um, that vehicle may or may not exist. And I know two workers right now, in, one in New York and one in California, that I, you know, I work with them on a spiritual level. And I, we work with the goddess Inanna, who's, who was delivered from Ereshkigal with by transgender, by a transgender deity, you know, and some of their work, similar to, you know, Oshun, is the idea of, like, you are the chosen person. How are you going to be safe? What agency are you going to have? You don't really have an online vehicle, so you're still in the back of the drag bar, sort of making eye contact. Is that person safe? How are you going to use your intuition to know? Do you want to get in the car or not? Are you giving a blowjob in the car? Are you being hooked mm -hmm. up by someone or someone else? So those, we're still navigating in those ways. And that's when we find out that our sister so-and-so got stabbed in an alley. You know, And that's where sex work for our trans community is still the number one you know, way of making money. A lot of times it's dangerous, still really dangerous. Um, is there agency? Is there not? 
Um, and so personally, I mean, I would love to see, um, you know, Rent Girl, G-U-R-L, and stuff like that. Um, and we don't talk about that. Our, our, sometimes I feel like you, we see LGBT, and I don't always think that T is really welcome at the welcome table, but it's been given access, even though it's um, not always welcome. Uh, but it's been thrown on the, the, the letter, the letter wagon. Um, so for, so in under the umbrella of access women, I think Amnesty International is making all this way, sex trafficking and, and rights. And what about protecting our girls gets a lot of attention. And then no one wants to talk about male sex workers because, you know, patriarchy says men don't have that issue. Men aren't, men don't turn tricks or do things like that because that's never going to happen. Just like men don't get raped. And then, you know, way at the bottom are, are trans sisters and brothers who would never do that work where of mm. course they do. They were the first ones that threw the brick at Stonewall. So um, there's sort of the umbrella. Does that you answer do... your question? Yeah. And, and Rowan, <laughs> I'm curious when, when you were doing this, because I think you were in New York city when you were doing this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, did you have a lot of um, connection and interaction with other people doing this kind of work? And did you hear or observe differences in, in the way that men and women doing this kind of work were treated, gay and straight, atti- you know, attitudes towards gay and straight escorts and that kind of thing were, were treated? Um, you know, I didn't. One of the things that a site like Rent Boy um, uh, can sort of provide and Red Book is that you immediately are tapped into as superficial and commercial as it may be, a community. You know, there are other profiles. There is sex work visibility, and that's huge. Um, I uh, did not – that was not how I operated when I was doing sex work. I worked almost exclusively off of Craigslist and people that I met in person, Um, and it just developed on – or worked on developing a regular clientele so that I didn't have to go through – the the uh, trepidation and the scariness of, you know, meeting a new client each time and not knowing, you know, all right, what is this person like? What does this person really want? Am I actually going to feel safe with this person? Um, so that ended up isolating me from any sort of sex worker community, pretty much. Uh, I did have one very good friend who is also a sex worker, and I that was so important um, to me because – you know, it's all you need to have, you need to find your tribe and you can't be the only person there. Um, and having someone who you can talk to about these things, you know, even if it's laughing because you both went to the same guy's apartment, like, you know, you meet as one's entering the door and one's exiting. Um, true story. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and that, that provides, I'd like, that is empowering to me. Um, and I know that the word empowerment means a lot of things in this situation. You know, is it emotionally empowering? Is it financially empowering? Does it empower you to pursue the gender lifestyle that you want? Um, it can mean so many things um, here. But for me, it was that emotional connection that was ultimately, I think, gave me the greatest source of support. Uh, and so since, you know, we do um... – hear both of you using the word empowerment, you know, a lot. I'm curious how you think that we can go about 
supporting and empowering people in this kind of work and how we can recognize when someone maybe is not doing it because they're exercising their own agency and they feel as if it's the choice that they want for themselves versus it's the only option and then how to best support them in some way as well. Uh, so, you know, Eric, maybe you can start since you counsel people in this way. How can we recognize when people feel empowered or are doing this of their own agency as well as how can we just support in general people who do this and, and, and making this kind of work more acceptable and legitimate in the eyes of people rather than something that is looked down upon or needs to be shoved into the shadows and 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 kept in whispers and secrets. Well, I think I'm going to answer the second part first because it informs everything. We have to make sex in general more open in conversation. So the opening conversation you had today with your other co-hosts horrified me because it didn't feel open and empowering. Um, you know, the way to have open and empowered sex is to have open and empowered conversation and dialogue. You know, to be able to, you know, a one-night stand, a successful one-night stand is being able to look someone in the eye and say, I want to have sex with you. If you're not having it the way you like it, to be able to, like, grab their head and put it where you want it on your body. You know, open and empowered sex in all conversations, whether that's in the school or in your bedroom, whether that's with someone you've been married with for 100 years or someone you just met on the street. When we as people begin to have open dialogue about sex, that's not an empathic conversation. You can't assume that someone you've known for a long time or someone you just met it's going to empathically know how your body works, where your clitoris is, where your G-spot is, where any spot is. Show them where it is. When we start, read the ethical select, okay? Like, get informed. Be, be able to say vagina, okay? Be able to say anus and penis and touch it and know it. When we begin to have that conversation, when sex, just plain old sex, is not taboo, that's when you can start to be able to unpack sex worker, you know, like you can't put the cart before the horse. But since we're talking about sex workers, you know, uh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid and start to like widen the parameter around sex worker. The stripper isn't bad. She's not bad. She's just a girl or guy with a job. And I am enjoying, like I enjoy seeing the go-go boy. I am jealous I'm not one sometimes. Like, the go-go boy with the cash in the strap, put $2 in it. It's not going to hurt you. You know, or the girl at the, the, who has that job. It's not a bad job. But I think the way to ask if someone is empowered in their job is simply to ask. Mm -hmm. So in the case of someone that I do work with, I saw that they had an ad for an apartment this is a recent person, an ad for an apartment. It was on Facebook. And basically, the ad was very, um, it looked like a foreword. They were like seeing if someone, they were, it looked like they were um, seeing, looking for an apartment for a friend. And it, and it said, uh, trans, girl, uh, trans girl sex worker needs an apartment with a separate entrance. And so 
knowing that they themselves were trans, uh, I messaged them and I said, hey, see, so you're looking for a place in Brooklyn, blah, blah, blah. Uh, are you, you know, are you the sex worker? Um, way to go if you are. And I waited for a response. And she responded that she was. And I was like, hey, that sounds interesting. Tell me more about it. And she did. And she and I started talking about it. And I asked her questions. And I didn't do it in a judgmental way. And it was through the conversation that I found out, like, are you making any money? Are you not? Are you able to support yourself? And do you like doing it? And if at some point in that conversation she said to me, I don't like doing it, it doesn't feel like a, I hate doing it, then I would have said, what do you need to not do it? And if she said to me, I need an ID that says my real name and like the way I look, then the conversation would have become, what can I do to help you? Is it finding an agency in New York to help you get that? Is it money manage? Is it money magic? Is it, and that's how you get that conversation. But her conversation was, I actually really love doing it. I find it really empowering. I actually, uh, I present as female and I work with women to help them be open up their own sexuality. I was like, great, let me help you create a way to do that better. And that's how I ended up working with her. So the way to have that conversation is, in, is to approach the conversation without the judgment that what is being done is negative. See, mm-hmm. we approach the conversation as like, oh, you're a sex worker, it's got to be bad. You know, oh, my God, save our girls. Oh, my God, you're being, you, you, you're being pimped out. Oh, my God, you're a stripper because it's the last thing you're doing and you have 10 kids at home that you've got to be feeding and you're working a pole. Uh, no, maybe you do it because you like it. Who knows? So I say approach it from the position of it works for you. And if they tell you otherwise, then approach it from, oh, how can I help you? That's and what I, think, I would say. And I think something you said there is also important in the sense of not also not looking at the um, organizations such as the Rent Boy website or whatever, not necessarily looking at them in judgment either and thinking it's just a, a bunch of creepy people that are taking advantage of and exploiting people or pimping people out. Because Rent Boy, for example, did some amazing things. They had a... a, a, a uh, program set up for anybody that you know uh, worked through the site that um, it was like a monthly thing I think but it was for health and so they could come and they could mm-hmm. ask questions about health they could find out resources to make sure that they were able to maintain their health whether they had insurance or not and all that kind of thing they right. uh, had education and and future and money training to help people realize you know you may not do this forever and here are the things you need to think about and here's how you can start planning for that rather than just you know you just made three hundred dollars for the the night now you go out and you buy a three hundred dollar leather jacket the next day but then a few years <laughs> down the line you have no money in the bank when you suddenly Right. aren't doing this anymore you know so it's it's also recognizing that you know uh, these the people behind some of these organizations and websites and things also are doing a lot of really good things to help support and empower these people and it's not just bad people taking advantage of other people um, and so uh, Rowan I'm curious like what 
what was something that you felt there was and what do you feel could have been done to help you feel more supported or empowered uh, or comfortable uh, when you were doing that work uh, in, in order to feel safer or, or better able to do it in a way that supported whatever the reasons were you wanted or needed to do it for yourself? Um, thank you. Yeah, you know, I think, again, I, one of the things is that every sex worker's reason for, for doing sex work and the, what that sex work looks like is going to be different. You know, everyone has different relationship with their with their clients. Everyone has a different relationship to sex, and everyone has a different motivation that brought them there. Um, for me, the thing that I I wish I would have gotten, um, or <laughs> that I can look back on and just identify, is I think a lot of I ran into a lot of well-meaning people who would sort of you know ask me some paraphrased version of like you know well do do you find this empowered? They were essentially asking me for, you know, if I was a victim and they were more typically suggesting a little bit that I was a victim. Um, and, uh, it was, a, it's a tricky conversation cause I understand where someone's being compassionate, they're interested and maybe they've never met someone like me before. Um, but sometimes you want to be like, Oh God, you know, I hate my job. Like it's awful. I hate these people that I work with. Um, this, and you know, I happen to be a sex worker. Um, and uh, it's hard for, I think, some people to hear that and not rush into, like, a rescue mode. And they're like, well, how can I get you out of this? Um, when sometimes I was like, I just want to vent about, about my work and my job, and I don't want your pity, and I don't want you to rescue me. I just, you know, need to tell you that this is, a, this is stressful for me sometimes, uh, but I am also not asking for uh, – a messiah at this moment. And uh, I only use that as, as an example of what my experience with sex work was like. I know that there are a lot of people who, Eric, like you mentioned, are looking for someone who will be like, you know what, I see you, I hear you, and I want to help you get what you need because you are looking for a way out of this. Um, I wasn't at the time. Um, and so what I would say in terms of supporting sex workers, because there are some who don't aren't looking to get out of it, you know, immediately, um, sign petitions, you know, like when Amnesty International was in a long, long conversation about whether or not they were going to use their advocacy um, to support sex workers. When you see that happening, sign that petition. When you see that A&E has a new uh, reality show coming out where they follow sex workers around, sign the petition to shut that show down. Stop using the word whore to address your friends and mm -hmm. stop laughing at the word slut in public because you do not own these words. And it can seem innocent to you, but it can be shaming someone. You never know who has a relationship with that word that you are, you know, unincluding and you're pushing to the fringes of society and you are shaming, although it's unintentional. Well, well said. Uh, <laughs> so as we, as we move to the close of this conversation, um, there's something I do at the end of every conversation where I have a question to pose to you that was asked by a, a previous guest, not knowing who would be asked the question. And then I'll ask you for a question for a future guest. Uh, before I ask that, I just want to put it out there to see if either of you have any final thoughts or things that you would like to say around this 
topic of sex work and sex workers um, that has either come to you all having this conversation or was something that you had thought about before we uh, came into the show, but knowing we were going to be talking about this. So I just want to give you that opportunity if you have any last thoughts or comments to, to offer around this. Uh, I don't. I just want to thank you for having me here. And since we've done all this conversation about it, I would feel out of place if I did not thank Oshun for giving me the, the strength and the resources and the skill to um, have had this narrative be a part of my life. And Eric, anything um, in addition you'd like to say? Well, I just think that it's it's important to honor both those who paved the way in the past um, and those who continue to walk in the present and those who will continue to walk um, moving forward uh, because sex work has been with us from the beginning and will continue mm. to be with us um, and that it's, it's part of our society and the fabric of who we are. Um, and it's beautiful it's a beautiful piece of, of our of our existence, and I'm and I'm grateful to also who have been here. So, uh, the question that I would like to pose from a previous guest, and this is from my guest uh, Patama Su, who is actually a an iconographer, a comedic iconographer, and makes amazing um, uh, Egyptian religious pieces uh and the question and i think i'm going to go to eric first and then rowan you can respond after him but the question is how can humankind be co-create <clears throat> sorry how can humankind be co-creators with the gods <sighs> i just wrote about this um so I really should just direct everyone to read about it on the blog. Patheos. No, I think the alone in her presence, I just wrote all about this, but I think the answer to, uh, I think part of the answer to this question is, is to invite yourself to daily experience. Um, to invite that practice, to ground yourself to breath, to ground yourself to nature, and to open yourself to, co to the enchantment of the world around you. And whatever deity, guide, or ally that you're meant to encounter will make themselves known to you. Not necessarily in the appointed time that you decide, but the anointed time that they decide. And I think that's the key. In the anointed time that they decide. Just watch, wait, and listen, to quote my friend Rabbit. <laughs> so that's the way, that's really the way. When the, when the, the deity is ready, they'll make themselves known. Until then, just keep breathing. 
and Rowan, how would you respond to how can humankind be co-creators with the gods? Um, well, I love that question, Heisey. I feel like I would offer a two-part response. One, I would say that uh, I would reorient it a little bit in that I, in my perspective and spiritual path, I would say that we are also the gods. We ourselves are made from the fabric of the star goddess. Each one of us is a god, and we should approach the rest of the universe as such. I mean, that God is self, and self is God, and God is a person like myself. Um, and then in terms of bringing that into co-creation with the rest of the gods in the universe, uh, I would really love it if we saw people who are in this empowered spiritual path of manifestation uh, in whatever name they want to, to use to call it by, um, going and doing work for more than just themselves and their own lives, but really co-creating on a cultural level, um, on a national level, um, and doing healing work for, for our nation, doing healing work for uh, communities that we see being victimized, and allowing that creative energy and that divine energy that they have to extend beyond their life and affect the people around them, even communities that they may not be a part of. All right. Thank you for that. So now, Eric, I will ask you what question you might like to pose to a future guest. How are you dedicating the merit of the work that you're doing to the benefit of all beings. And Rowan, would you have a question you'd like to pose for a future guest? Sure. My question would be, uh, what does the color red sound like? All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much to both you, Rowan, and to you, Eric, for being willing to join me today for this kind of a conversation. I'm I'm hoping, Eric, when you said that the roundtable discussion horrified you was um, because you it, it illustrated how people still have a lot of uh, trepidation and and blockage around the whole topic of sex. Um, and I know that coming on to talk about this. Unfortunately, I have to say, is sometimes a brave thing to do simply because in our society it can still be looked at as something that isn't supposed to be talked about or done or that kind of thing. So thank you to both it of you for being willing. It the best way. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> in like the best haunted house at Halloween way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you to both of you for taking the time to come on and talk about this today. And uh, hopefully it has helped to just, if nothing else, prompt people to think about their own attitudes around sex as well as people who work in the sex field uh, and uh, maybe has enlightened them a bit or given them something a little different to consider than they might have thought about before. So a thousand gratitudes to each of you for being here today. Oh, thank you, Heisty. Thank you. And... We will be back shortly. Uh, we're going to come up on our astrology update for the month. And then following that is your chance to call in for a live reading. If you would like to do so, you can go ahead and get into the queue by connecting in from the show page. 
or you can just call in 646-716-5510. So we will be right back. I'm High C, and you're listening to Revolution. Psychonauts, welcome to the September installation of the Astro Report. dominated by a preponderance of complex systems. Many of them could fit the definition of chaotic systems, which are roughly defined as systems with complex physical processes that demonstrate sensitive dependence on initial conditions. Put another way, small perturbations in the forming conditions of a complex system that controls its development can lead to radically unpredictable outcomes. In essence, what this means is that small changes can have big results, and we will never really know how and why. A strange attractor is a mathematical representation of these mechanisms and tendencies and helps us to essentially predict the unpredictable and reveal underlying order. It is an apt metaphor for the times we are living through in which uncertainty rules the day and probability is a better guide than determinism could ever be. It is also a description of what we are collectively doing to ourselves now. Climate change is the biggest symbol of this entire concept. Here, here we are, a species on the planet that is introducing a small change, CO2 concentrations in the atmosphere and oceans, to the initial conditions, to the planetary climate system, which is a chaotic system. And the results are wild and unpredictable and quite possibly not very favorable for us. Knowing that we are the initial condition causing perturbations and that through our socially constructed economic mechanisms, we are doing it, I I propose the first challenge of our global initiation. We need to come up with a social meme, a shift in our own society's initial conditions that will have far-reaching implications. Could it be that shifting individual behavior and perceptions of our place in the natural world that ultimately will lead to a disruption of the current trajectory we are on and a much-needed radical departure into a course correction and be ourselves a strange attractor that causes that shift in initial conditions? I bring this all up because it is the theme for the month's astrological transition. There is a strong energy of questioning the existing cultural assumptions that have created the converging crises we are collectively faced with. 
Specifically with Venus and Cancer, we are asked to delve deeper to the core of our legacies and tribal impulses and begin to decode and analyze the Western cultural legacy we have inherited through centuries of social evolution. The difference is this is not one done on a superficial level, but one that gets to the heart of matters and can be a wrenching emotional process where we must touch the subconscious mind and deal with ingrained programming that is difficult to examine and further to reduce. We have Uranus and Pisces to guide us in this quest as it puts intuition into the the service of solving complex human problems. These will form the overarching themes for the month of September. September 13th, we will see a new moon in Leo, which I call infrared. This is a lunation in which the qualities of generosity, pleasure, and creativity are highlighted. Collectively, it can signal the possibility for those in power elites to be exposed to the masses and critiqued for their transgressions. It's a time when corruption can have the lid blown off of it through methods that are under the radar. Along with the month's theme, it could be something increasingly insignificant that has profound consequences. On September 16th, the sun will enter Virgo. The metaphor I like to use for this is the planetary operating system. The Earth is a dynamic system made up of self-repeating patterns and precisely tuned cycles that create feedback loops and regulate one another. This is a perfect metaphor for Virgo and how it operates. Virgo is the cipher that is capable of coordinating and sorting out the many details from the subatomic to the cosmic and creating systems that coordinate and organize the seemingly disparate elements into a coherent and seamless system, a kind of operating system. As much as we take these processes and sadly these people who carry the Virgo DNA for granted, they are essential to our survival, whether it is the life support systems of spaceship Earth or the systems that monitor our daily lives and make them flow seamlessly. Virgo holds this legacy, and why not? It has the most days of solar transit of any of the zodiacal signs. September 17th sees Jupiter in opposition to Neptune. This This shows revolutionary potential. There's a subtle revolutionary energy at play here, along with a more deceptive Pollyanna tendency. The world can appear subjectively brighter than it actually is, and when reality creeps back in, it can generate a feeling of disillusionment, which is the best possible thing that can happen because it disabuses us of our illusions. Collectively, it can signal a time when the illusion that a consumer society and an unquestioned elitism can cast over the masses. Those of us so inclined will question the deceptions that are used in service in maintaining the status quo and will open to the possibility of seeing the writing on the wall and exposing propaganda used in the service of keeping us all asleep and consuming endlessly. It starts as a small, imperceptible inkling that something is out of sync and then as more of reality finds its way in, it becomes an inspirational awakening one which unveils the interconnected nature of the world we reside in. But inspired truth can sink itself into the subconscious mind, that we are truly inextricably linked to one another and no elite or special interest group can change that essential connection. We jump then to September 23rd when Venus will trine Uranus. I call this ultraculture. 
The wrenching process of examining tribal legacy meets the far-reaching intuitive vision of the technological imagination. This is a unique configuration. It is one in which individuals are awakened to deeply examine the culture they've inherited from centuries of social evolution. We begin to question the underlying assumptions and welcome flashes of insight that help to reframe the social mind. We are emboldened by ancient legacies of being a social species and enticed by new advances in social organization and technological development designed with the aim of improving lives all around the world and mitigating crises that through our actions are unavoidable. What seems insurmountable becomes navigable by trusting our most unusual perceptions. How appropriate that it falls on the day of the September equinox, a time of balancing light and dark. September 24th, Mercury squares Pluto once again. Conspiracy theory. Reflecting themes of the earlier square, paranoia, the uniquely unparalleled failure of logic, rears its head once again, although amplified into a hydra. One head is cut off and a thousand new threads grow in its, its internet placeholder. It is a reminder to maintain critical thinking and not fall for theories based more in speculation than evidence and common sense. Then the very next day, September 25th, sees Mars square Saturn. Reactionary people. We will see that those ideologically motivated by ancient legacy will insist that their religious liberties are being impinged upon, when in fact it is their duty to follow civil law which abridges none of their freedom to exercise their religion in a non-public context. Personally, we may find ourselves wrestling with our own atavistic tendencies and the thornier issues of dealing with cultural legacies that keep us trapped in primeval prejudice and constrain our imagination. September 29th sees a full moon in Pisces, a kind of intuitive apocalypse. Apocalypse is an ancient Greek term that meant uncovering and referred to a literal disclosure of knowledge. In our culture, it has come to mean an, an event of catastrophic disruption so disruptive that it renders its victims powerless to rebuild or reconstruct in the aftermath. I prefer to utilize its original meaning and state that this moon will be a rather powerful one, lending itself to leaps of intuition that reveal cosmological and timeless truths, whether they be about existence itself or something more mundane. They will all be profound in their implications and like chaos theory, reveals reality can be quite strange, mysterious, unknowable, and revealing of underlying order. Perhaps reality is its own strange attractor that convinces us of its total randomness and then blindsides us by its very surreal unfolding. The next day, September 30th, we'll see the Sun conjunct Mercury in Virgo. In this case, the devil is in the details. It is wise to bring focus to the way life is operating and make any improvements in the efficiency or the efficacy of these self-regulating systems. This applies individually and collectively. How is the system operating? Could it better serve us? Could it be improved? These are all cogent questions. That, dear fellow inner space travelers, is September in a nutshell. Please be sure to visit my blog at flyingpunkrockunicorn.com. 
That's flyingpunkrockunicorn.com. I'm also available on Facebook at Prometheus the Astrologer. If you'd like to set up a reading with me, private message me at my Facebook page. That's the best place to reach me. Have a wonderful month, dear. I'll see you next time. Once upon a time, I was falling in love. Now I'm only falling apart. Of the heart. Once upon a time there was light in my life Now there's only love in the dark Nothing I can say Total eclipse of the heart Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows Live. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Enjoy the show. Thank you for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed the show thus far. This brings us to our uh, segment where you have a chance to receive a reading live on the air. Uh, There uh, isn't anybody in the queue at this point, and I'm assuming that's probably because, based on my card of the day and newsletter I send out every morning, everyone is probably busy organizing and doing their fall cleaning and getting things all in 
uh, arranged and, and ready to go for the coming fall season. Uh, so I thought just to close the show, I would just pull a card and see what it is that we just need to know, think about, consider, or do at this particular time. And whether that means if you're listening live right now, whether that means you're listening sometime after this show is aired, you're hearing this at the right time. That's always my belief. So this is simply what we need to hear when we hear it at this moment to keep in mind. And the card that came up is the page of swords, or in this deck that I'm using, called the Japarizzi Tarot, the Stranger of Winds. Uh, and sorry, not the page, the, the Knight of Swords. Uh, so this is a time when we need to be thinking clearly and moving ahead without hesitation. We need to, in some ways, gird ourselves or or um, uh, ready ourselves for battle. But that just means that it's time for us to be willing to move forward in taking on what we know to be the right thing to do. It is time for us to be willing to become more active in uh, fighting for what we believe in as well as combating against injustice and imbalance. Now, this can mean things in the external world. So this is a great time to get involved in causes and organizations that you feel strongly about and that you really want to be a part of making a difference through, uh, whether that means you know uh, political activism, volunteering for something, um, involved in something that is helping to right a wrong or to bring better balance to a situation, a community, uh, a, a topic of some sort that uh, is currently undergoing some sort of strain or attack in some way that we need to help be a part of supporting and um, bringing back to a place of rightness and balance. Uh, this can also indicate in ourselves that this is a time when we need to fight against falling into old ways of thinking and old habits, but instead be willing to take up the sword, if you will, uh, and begin to look at those things honestly and objectively and begin to start cutting away or at least poking at those things that we know don't serve us, but we continue to allow to operate within us or continue to define us or continue to condition us or, or, or cause us to fall back into old conditioning. So the Knight of Swords basically says we can't wait any longer. It's time to do something about this. It's time to change these things. It's time to turn our attention and focus to these things so that we can actually make progress and move forward in our lives rather than continuing to fall back into the same old things over and over again and then having lots of excuses, justifications, and complaints about why we don't move forward, why we don't change things or why we can't, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, this is a big card for saying I'm no longer going to play victim or I'm no longer going to feel as if I have no control. It goes back to our conversation earlier. I'm no, no longer going to make excuses and justifications for why I think I don't have any agency or autonomy uh, or self-determination, but instead I'm going to to, to, to pick up the sword, I'm going to step into taking charge 
of my own thoughts, of my own life, of my own direction, and I'm going to be willing to cut away what is holding me back, even if it's difficult or challenging. I'm no longer going to continue to make excuses and justifications for doing something or not doing something. I'm no longer going to procrastinate. Uh, I'm now going to become much more proactive in doing what I've been saying I'm going to do, in executing the plans I have been thinking about putting into motion. It is now time for us to be moving those forward and to be taking action on those things. And I think this is especially key because swords is the suit of air, and on this particular day that I've chosen it, the moon is moving into Libra. And so it is about taking action on things that are out of balance, uh, especially relationships, but that can be relationship to the self, relationship to other people, relationship to the world around me. Uh, Libra is also about justice. So it is about uh, fighting for, standing up for, taking action on things that I believe in and where justice needs to be served or where I need to be part of bringing justice where there has been injustice. And soon enough on the fall equinox or thereabouts, uh, around September 20th, we will be moving into Libra, uh, the, the zodiac sign as well. So this seems to be a key time and we're moving into a key month for thinking this way and acting this way. There's no more holding back. There's no more procrastinating. There's no more excuses. It's time to act on what we've been saying, thinking, or planning. So thank you very much for having joined me here today. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed all of the segments on the show. I especially want to thank my guests for today, Rowan and Eric, for being willing to come in and talk about something that is often um, considered something that should be talked about in, you know, whispers and in, and and uh, outside of public arenas. But I think it is important for us to be able to talk about, as Eric was saying, to be able to talk about sex and sex work and those kind of things in a very public, calm, objective way so that we can move it out of the realm of something that is looked at judgmentally, that is somehow moralized about, that is somehow denigrated and kept in the shadows versus allowing it to simply be seen as a natural part of the fabric of life and something that is a natural choice for some people to make as what it is that they have to offer and how they serve uh, in their lives and, and people and in the world in general. So thank you very much to Eric and Rowan and also to my other contributors on the show, Linda Wiley, Prometheus, as well as my co-hosts in the round table. And I will look forward to having you join me here again next month. Um, Revolution airs the second Sunday of each month at 10.30 a.m. So I would encourage you, hopefully, to tune in again there. You can also hear any of the past shows for this or any of the other shows uh, on Blog Talk Radio, or you can go to iTunes, search for Firefly Willows, and it will come right up, and you can find all of our past shows there. And uh, if you would like to get in touch with me, uh, you can do so. My website is tarotbyhighc.net. You can email me, highc at tarotbyhighc.net, or you can find me on Facebook. Just search for tarotbyhighc or go to facebook.com slash tarotbyhighc, and you will be able to both find my page there, like it if you would so choose, as well as send me a message. 
So thank you for listening, and I look forward to having you join the revolution again next month on October 12th, uh, sorry, on October 11th, um, which is the second Sunday. Until then. Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Carousella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Convergence with John Carousella, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.